What an exciting time to be a part of this house. Woo! What is God doing? He is stirring up the waters. Praise God. I'm just thrilled to be a part. Glad that our obedience continues to bring blessing. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, let's go. The best is yet to come. Come on. Nephew said to his uncle, thanks for that harmonica you gave me. It's the best birthday present ever. Uncle said, well, that's great. What songs can you play? He said, oh, I don't play it. Mom gives me a dollar a day not to play it during the day, and Dad gives me five bucks a week not to play it at night. (laughs) Best present ever. So a linguist dies. At the funeral, a fellow academic asks the wife, do you mind if I say a word? She nods. He stands and says, plethora. And immediately he sits down. She says tearfully, that means a lot. So a genie granted me one wish. So I said, I just want to be happy. Now I'm living in a cottage with six dwarves and working in a mine. (laughs) There you go. The power place does exist to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily. So you can be empowered by his spirit and his word so that you can engage with your world. And I pray that that's happening on a daily basis for you. You're finding yourself in situations where God is bringing you people that you can engage with and bring the life and love of Jesus Christ to. Amen. One of our core values here is obedience. And we say obedience is the key to life. And it's not just a cute saying, it's, it's a reality. And I want to share some of that reality with you today. Because we live by the nudge of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. And as he leads, we follow. There are three scriptures that we highlight with this core value. The first is, and Ryan shared this today, 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice is good, but to obey is better. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. To listen. Look at your neighbor and say, listen. Listening's important. Allie and Landon are living with us in our house right now. And they're three children. And I hear this constantly. Listen, first-time obedience. First-time obedience. Repeat that with me. First-time obedience. It's a big deal. First-time obedience. Not just, I hear, but I'm 
too busy, I'm doing other things, don't bother me with that because I'm focused on something else. No, it's first-time obedience that makes all the difference in the world. Take heed and realize it's better to listen and to obey. Then John 14, 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who loves me, Jesus says, will obey me. He's going to do what I say. And there's a bonus here. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Closeness comes from obedience. When you're disobedient, you find yourself away from the blessing of the Father. You want to be close. You want to be close enough to hear his voice when he whispers. Because he speaks in a still, small voice. And then Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Obedience isn't a hardship. It's a blessing. Obedience puts you in a blessing position, able to receive all that God has for you. He says, I want you to obey so that you will live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Because if you will obey, you will possess all that God has for you. Amen. That's, that's the way to live right there. Obedience is the key to life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. So, before I say that, let, let's just think about this for a moment. God opened the door here. We were obedient. We were in a very small room, the American Legion building, in the basement. And the Lord put in our hearts to, to take more ground. We stepped into this space right here, which wasn't looking like this. But when we stepped in, Christian and I looked at each other and we said, this is ours. This is what God has promised. This is our next step. And so obediently, we came here, renovated, and built walls and made it pleasing so we could function here. It was a huge step of obedience. We had to pay a whole lot more money to come here than we did there. But it was a step of obedience. God always blesses obedience. And he says, you're going to live, you're going to prosper, you're going to take what I have for you. You will possess what I have for you. And then the next space opened up. Right next door. Right up front. And so we took that space. We obeyed what the Lord was nudging us to do. Come on, somebody. Created a little, a little space for our children. And then the rest of that space opened up. And during the pandemic, 
And God said, build a gym. And we said, okay. But obedience is the key to life. And through our obedience, God has blessed us, blessed us with a key to a community that opened the door wider than we ever dreamed. Come on. And now, right next door, in God's perfect timing, reminds me of the Israelites. God didn't drive out all their enemies all at once. He said, little by little, we're going to take what you can handle. Next, next, next. And here we are on the threshold of something huge. I'm just excited to be a part of it. And it all comes through steps of obedience. Somebody say obedience. It's the key to life. Matthew 7, 24. So then anyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. And here's the context. Go back to verse 21. Not everyone who calls me Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, even those who say Lord, Lord, but only those who, but only those who, only those who do what my Father in heaven wants them to do. Obedience does. Obedience doesn't just hear and say, I'll get to it. Obedience does. Anyone who does what my Father in heaven wants them to do. When the judgment day comes, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in your name we spoke God's message. By your name we drove out many demons, performed many miracles. Then I will say to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you wicked people. So then, anyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain poured down. The rivers flooded over. The wind blew hard against that house, but it did not fall because it was built on rock. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not obey them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain poured down, the rivers flooded over, the wind blew hard against that house, and it fell, and what a terrible fall that was. If I can't trust you to obey me, I can't trust you. If I can't trust you to obey me, I can't trust you. Obedience is the key to a rock-solid life, a trustworthy life, a foundation that cannot be shaken. We can be trusted no matter what life throws at us when we live and walk in obedience. Obedience is the key to life. We're called ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors don't represent themselves. They represent someone else. They're bringing a message from the one they represent. And if he can't trust us to obey what he asks of us, then he simply can't trust us, and we won't be his ambassadors. 
So my question to you today is, can you be trusted? Look at your neighbors. Ask them that. Can you be trusted? Can you? Can you be trusted to carry what he wants you to carry? When I was thinking about a life of obedience, the Lord brought me to Ruth. I want to share with you the story of Ruth this morning. Ruth chapter 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Let me just say this. Life isn't always fair. Life doesn't just hand you what you think you should have. Things shift. Things change. And the question is, can you be trusted with what you're handed? Can you handle when life doesn't go your way? Anybody ever had some rough stuff in your life? Just three of us. That's okay. The rest of y'all are liars. We'll be praying for you today. Can you be trusted when things don't go the way you think they should? Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, which he always does, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where they, that she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and, she, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. If I thought there was even still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Noab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Again, life doesn't always hand you exactly what you think it should. But how are you going to handle it? Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, it just so happened. Another translation says, it so happened that she found herself in the perfect place at the perfect time. I like to call that God's hand in the glove of your life. God's hand the glove of your life. All by itself, not really worth much, but when God slips his hand in the glove of your life, things begin to change. He can begin to do in and through you what you couldn't do on your own. It just so happened, as it turned out, As you obey his nudges, he places you exactly where you should be and works in your life to fulfill his purposes through you. Some of you are experiencing this. You've never lived like this before. Others of us have never experienced that because we've lived in the realm of disobedience for so long. We don't even feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit any longer because we've seared our conscience. We've ignored him for so long. You have no idea where your yes of obedience to the Lord will lead. You have no idea. If you'll just obey him, he will take you places and do things through you that you can never do on your own. It's an amazing journey as you live a life of obedience. It just so happened, as it turned out, God's hand in the glove of your life. Verse 4. Just then, she showed up in the right place at the right time, and just then, somebody else showed up. Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland, came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, your reputation has preceded you. Look at your neighbor, tell them, your reputation has preceded you. Don't worry. Somebody's got eyes on you and God will bring you to the forefront when it's your time. Ruth, your reputation has preceded you. The story of your life of obedience reached me before you got here. I've been told all about everything you've done so far, and I'm impressed. Come on. What's been done in the dark, in the secret place, will be noticed openly. Well, they won't let me on stage. It's not your time yet. You keep working in the secret place. You keep talking to the Lord in the secret place. You keep obeying him every step of the way, and he will reward you in due time. Verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the, the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull some out, pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. I'm here to tell you that God will command some people to bless you. They won't even know why they're doing it. They're just obeying him because of your obedience to him. God is going to command some people, hey, take care of them. Watch out for them. Pay some bills for them. Come on. I've watched it happen in my life. We've watched God command people to take care of us. Just simply because we were living a life of obedience to his spirit and his word. So Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered. It amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town. Her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. You're going to have leftovers 
I don't like leftovers, but I can share leftovers. Come on. I've had enough so I can share what I got left. It's left over from the blessing that God has given me. Hallelujah. Her mother-in-law asked her, where'd you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today was Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. Obedience is the key to life. Obedience is the key to life. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Sometimes you're in a season that is less than desirable. Not speaking against mother-in-laws, but I have lived with my mother-in-law. Sometimes you're in a season that is less than desirable, but it is an obedience season. And that obedience season is setting you up for what is coming just around the corner. You have no idea what's coming, but you're staying obedient even though you're miserable at times. Come on, somebody. You know I'm talking the truth. This isn't permanent, and it's not punishment. This is preparation. It's not permanent. It's not punishment. It's preparation. It's not permanent. Though you think it is, you think I'll never see another day without my mother-in-law in the house. It's not permanent. And it is not punishment. It's preparation for my next season. Somebody needs to hear that word today. You're thinking to yourself, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Get me out fast as I can. And God says, I'm working. I've got my hand in the glove of your life. Don't kick me out. Stay pliable. Allow me to work. Allow me to do my, my work in you first. Okay, he's working in you. Hmm. He's working in you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm simply obeying the voice of the Lord and he's setting me up. I'm simply obeying the voice of the Lord and he is setting me up. God's hand in the glove of my life. Christy and I were in Wichita, Kansas. 
beginning years of our marriage, we were youth pastors and music pastors. We got a call from out of the blue saying, will you come to Trinidad West Indies? I said, no, thank you. He said, would you pray about it? See what the Lord says. That's always dangerous. Because God's always up to something. After fasting and prayer, Christy and I both knew this was an assignment from God. And if we didn't go to Trinidad West Indies, we would have been disobeying the voice of the Lord. That nudge of the Holy Spirit. It was a short term, obedient season that was the worst time of our lives and yet became the best time of our lives because of what God did in and through us. God's hand in the glove of your life. At the end of the time in Trinidad, God spoke to me and said, go work with your father-in-law. I didn't know what that meant yet because he was a missionary in Barbados. We just said, okay, Lord, whatever you want us to do, we will do. I went to him and I said, God spoke to me and said, I'm supposed to work with you. He said, well, I'm leaving Barbados. I'm going somewhere in the world. He said, I asked the Lord to show me where to go. Told him I haven't gotten any phone calls in three years. And yet this week, I got six phone calls from all over the country, all over the world. He said, I'm going to take them in the, the order in which they came. If you want to go, let's go together. I said, we're, we're in. I don't know where we're going, but let's do it. And so our next call, the first call was to Davenport, Iowa. We ended up in Davenport, Iowa for seven years. God took us there to a church that we were able to help. And for seven years, we poured into that church and built leaders and friends and people that are still in our lives today. And then I worked with my father-in-law for six more years as we traveled on the road as evangelists. And I lived with my mother-in-law for two and a half years in a 40-foot camper with my wife and three children and my father-in-law. And God did something in us. And then he nudged us as a family to leave Home Fire Family Ministries and to travel on our own for six more years. It began to mold and shape and do things in us that we never dreamed could ever happen. And then in the sixth year, God began to stir and nudge us to plant a church somewhere, somewhere, somewhere somewhere. We didn't know where. Through a series of events, we realized that Kenneth Square was where we were supposed to plant the power place. And I look back over those years and see God's hand in the glove of my life. 
And those simple, simple yeses, obedience has brought about miraculous things. Sometimes you're in a season. Doesn't seem like anything good is happening. Keep saying yes. Keep obeying his voice. You'll find yourself at the right place, at the right time, filled with God's power, filled with his anointing, ready and able to do everything he's called you to do. Come on. Hallelujah. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz was with, with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. There's a season where you need to do a little extra. Come on. You need to do a little extra because you're fishing. The fish love the bait. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Verse five, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Obedience is the key to life. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down on the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer for our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. You've had plenty of other opportunities, things that look much better, but you obeyed, you stayed in the obedience zone. Be careful in that obedience zone that you don't run after some things that look a whole lot better. Be careful that you keep your heart and your life right with God and stay in position because he's got something way better than you ever dreamed coming your way. You may not think so right now. You may look at your circumstances and say, this can never get better. But he's working. As you simply obey him and stay in that obedience position. Verse 11, and now, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I, I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know 
that you are a woman of noble character. This was a character test, Ruth. And you passed the test. Some of you are in a character test right now. You don't know it. Nobody told you. Get your paper out. Get your pen out. It's a test. Nobody said that. But you need to realize you are in a character test right now and you need to pass this test. This is a test. This is an obedience test. Everything you're facing is a hidden test. Pass the test. Look at your neighbor. Tell him. Pass the test. This is a test. Pass the test. And it's not just for you. It's, it's for everyone you're an influence to. Your obedience in the tough times is a seed planted in the soil of difficulty that will yield abundant fruit. Verse 12. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? How did that obedience test go? You did what I said, didn't you? And how did that go for you? And she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Your obedience not only blesses you, but those attached to you as well. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just at the garden of Redeemer. He had mentioned, came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, sit down. And he asked him, are you good? I'm going to skip over some of this because it's, it's a great story. You need to read it. Verse 8, the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. He removed his sandal. Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today, your witnesses, I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. And the elders and all the people of the gate said, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the, the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Ah. And when he made love to her, The Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. 
He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. And in Matthew chapter 1, Ruth and Obed, her son, born from her obedience, are listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus Christ came through the bloodline of Ruth, Obed, David, because of obedience. Obedience is the key to life, real life, transformative life. You have no idea what's coming because of your obedience, how blessed you will be. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, after removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why is he a man after God's own heart? He follows up with the answer. He will do everything I want him to do. Obedience will bless you and bring you into the company of the heart of God. He's a man after my own heart, God said, because he will do everything I want him to do. He's going to obey me. I know he's going to obey me. He may make a slip up here or there, but I know he's going to obey me. His heart is after my heart. Question. What could God birth through you because of your obedience? I I'm 65. Have I obeyed God every single day of my life? No, there were some messy days. There came a point in my life where I said, all I want to do is what he wants me to do. And that brought God's hand in the glove of my life. Christy and I and our family, we obeyed the nudge of the Lord to plant the power place 19 years ago. And 19 years later, the Power Place Academy had its first kindergarten graduation. And two of our granddaughters graduated from kindergarten. This week, on Tuesday night, we had the privilege of sitting in this room at graduation and awards ceremony from this incredible institution that is brand new. 
I got to tell you, I've, I've never seen such excellence as I saw at the awards night at the graduation. Kingdom-minded kids, kingdom influencers are being raised up to carry the torch. And I got to tell you, that's priceless. I don't care how much money we've invested, it's It's priceless. My thought went back to a few short years ago, two, two and a half years ago, when Principal Pop, Mr. Bill Grandizio, the head of school for the Power Place Academy, he called me and said, can we, can we get something to eat tonight? He said, I want, I want to talk with you about some things. We went to a cheesesteak place. I didn't even know there were cheesesteaks before I came to Pennsylvania. I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. And now I'm killing myself with them. I'm going to die a happy death. <laughs> I began to share some things with him and he looked at me across the table. He pulled out a, a book, a ledger that he had been writing in and began to share some things with me about what God is speaking to him. And as he's sharing his heart and how God has arrested him and is telling him to leave corporate America and go into the ministry, I'm reliving 19 years ago, 20 years ago when God spoke to us and we said, this doesn't make any sense. We've never been to Chester County. Don't even know anything about Kennett Square. We, we, what are we doing? We're so successful right now. And yet through a moment of obedience, we said yes. And Mr. Bill is sharing his story with me and so I, I think I'm going to go to Florida. I said, no, you're not. I said, as you're speaking, God is telling me you're the answer to our question right now. And neither one of us had any idea that the Power Place Academy was getting ready to be birthed. And it needed somebody with some wisdom, with some discernment, with some knowledge, with some understanding, with some things that have been planted in him through the years, only God can do things like that. But it only happens as we obey him and allow him to put his hand in the glove of our lives. And there's nothing like it. He always looks at me and says, my best day at Canon." That's not what you say. You say, my worst day at the power place is my, better than my best day at Cannon. He said, I don't have a worse day here. But because of your obedience to leave Cannon, see, obedience is the key to life. Do you realize how many 
children's lives are being molded and shaped and changed for eternity. You had no idea that your yes would allow you to pioneer the PowerPlace Academy through the vision of Pastor Isaiah and Brittany. You see, what we set in motion through our obedience has the ability to bless multiple generations all the way through eternity. Ruth obeyed the nudge of the Lord to stay with her mother-in-law. Because of that act of obedience, she positioned herself to be a part of the bloodline of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God's hand in the glove of your life. Heard someone say not long ago, sometimes your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you've raised. And I would have to say, the kids we raised, Pastor Isaiah and Pastor Brittany, are our greatest contribution to this house. They're leading so well. Because of their obedience to the Lord, they're setting in motion the future of this house. What could your yes to God do for generations to come? Stand with me, please. Today, as Pastor Brittany asks us to take a moment, just spend time in the Lord's presence and listen. Some of you, God was speaking to you about a certain area, something in your life that needed to change, something that needed to be laid aside, something that needed to be dealt with. Those aren't flippant moments. Those are moments that if we'll say yes, we'll get in that obedience position, that obedience zone. You just close your eyes and lift your hands to the Lord this morning. 